This is the Cascade Hiker Podcast. Find us over at CascadeHikerPodcast.com. I'm a country boy with the soft side. My heart wanders up north to the hillside. Now I've never made anyone quite as beautiful as you. I'm your host, Rudy Gets It. I'm here to inspire you to get out on the trail. You putting in two-mile hikes, five-mile hikes? Are you still on the couch? Come on, let's go on a backpacking trip. I'm going to introduce you to some folks that have done that and a whole lot more. All right, next on the Cascade Hiker Podcast, what's your name and where are you from? Cassandra Overby from Seattle. Okay, well, hey, um, I I got your book here, Explore Europe on Foot, and I'm pretty excited about it because I've talked to a couple people that hiked in the Europe, some trails in Europe and stuff, and but never really dove into just kind of the whole area. So I'm excited to kind of talk about that. And I'm also excited because I found, well, I found a couple websites. I found your um, CassandraOverby.com. And then I found right. Explore on Foot. ExploreOnFoot.com. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about those real quick, just so people kind of get an idea of, of who you are and where you, they can find you. So what is, uh, what's going on at uh, CassandraOverby.com? So I am by trade a freelance writer. So I write for magazines. I've written for companies. Um, I also write for publishers now um, with this book. And so CassandraOverby.com is the best place to see kind of the width and breadth of everything that I've written. So I have examples on there of magazine articles I've written, um, research articles. And so it's a really good spot to um, just go and see everything that I've written. Okay, cool. And what's up with your dancing? Dancing? Oh, my goodness. Okay, I really love to walk, but I really, really love to dance. Um, I've been a country dancer for a long time. I actually grew up hating country music and thinking it was terrible. And then I went to college and I had friends who were really into country, and they introduced me to it, and I just fell for it. And so I love to cha-cha, shottish. Um, and I just got a new pair of boots, so I'm pretty excited about that. <laughs> nice, that's funny. I mean, it's not funny. I, it's just it's cool. It's it, it's actually kind of a neat connection. Uh, I like I like how on your about me, you kind of say dancing and hiking. Like it's just it puts it all together. <laughs> yeah, different. Yeah, boots. those are my two favorite things in the world. So that's great. All right, and then what is exploreonfoot.com? I take it that's uh, kind of based on the book. Yeah, so exploreonfoot.com is the companion website for the book. And right now there's this one book out there, but um, my travel brand is Explore on Foot, and I intend to go a lot more places than just Europe. So I'd like to do Southeast Asia. I'd like to dive into South America. I'd really like to help people discover the whole world on foot. And so starting with this website, getting this book up there, I also have um, a series of route guides that are companion guides to explore Europe on foot. And there are three of them and they dive deeper into three specific trails and their walking directions um, and GPX tracks that are packaged with that. And so exploreonfoot.com is the best place to get all of that and find out about the Explore on Foot brand and everywhere you can go with us. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's pretty, uh, pretty cool. And then, uh, so w- before we get started talking about the book itself, um, you have some live dates to uh, not live dates, uh, live events uh, and, and dates and times and stuff. And um, let's see, I don't know exactly when this is going to get out, but um looks like 
October through November and some December. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm really hitting the circuit hard in October and November. Um, I also have some events scheduled in December and then it'll go on to the spring as well. So I'm doing three different kinds of talks and you can find all of those on exploreonfoot.com, all of the different dates. Um, the first kind of talk is a book talk and it's all about exploring on foot and why it's incredible and why you should do it. Um, the second kind of talk is actually a travel clinic. So my book, in addition to introducing people to the trails in Europe, it is all about how you do it, like how you train for the trail, how you pack, um, how you prepare. And so the second kind of talk, the travel clinic, really dives into all of those specifics. So how do you make this dream trip happen? The third kind of talk um, is with another woman who's published with Mountaineer's Books, and her book is coming out at the same time as mine, Beth Jacino. And she wrote a memoir on walking the Camino de Santiago. And so we're presenting together about through hiking without suffering. So talking about the long walks in Europe, bringing in her experience um, and my experience as well, and then getting people out there doing it. That's really cool. Yeah. And I uh, actually picked up that book uh, recently too, and I plan on reading it. I'm not, it's not, I don't really plan on going and doing a lot of hiking in Europe, but I just love the idea that there are so many places you can explore on foot. So, um, you know, this is, this is perfect. So, uh, okay, well let's talk about the book then. Um, what, uh, my first question, cause I, I really was curious about this. Uh, a lot of times I ask people, how long did it take you to write the book? And I was thinking about your book and I was thinking, man, you know, did you just go to Europe and live there for a year? Or, you know, what, how, can you talk a little bit about the process of uh, exploring Europe on foot? Yeah. So the book was actually born back in 2015. Um, my then boyfriend, now husband and I launched out on what was intended to be a grand tour of Europe and it turned into a bigger trip around the world. And while we were traveling, we stumbled on this concept of exploring on foot. And I really decided it was the absolute best way to travel. And so I started actually writing the book when I was in Europe. So at one point, we rented a house for a week in Connemara, Ireland. And Max disassembled a beautiful trunk from upstairs and made me a writing desk. And for a week, I sat there and I wrote draft chapters because I was so excited to tell everybody about this new kind of travel. And so when I came back, um, I was talking to Eli Boschetto, who has published um, a book on the Oregon section of the PCT. And he said, hey, your book sounds really cool. Uh, would you be interested if I pitched it to Mountaineer's Books the next time I'm in there for a meeting? And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Sure, that's a great idea. So he went in and pitched it, and they liked it. Um, and from there, I did a presentation on my book. They bought the idea. And from the moment I signed the contract, I had a year to turn in the manuscript. And that was really fast. Wow. <laughs> because yeah. I had done a lot of the research when I was in Europe in 2015. And, you know, I spent nine months traveling then. But I wanted to be able to say that I've hiked every single trail in my book. And so I needed to go back to Europe once I signed that contract. So I put together two research trips within that year. And the first one was five weeks long. And the second one was six weeks long. And basically, when I was in Europe during that, those two trips, um, every single day I was hiking. And every single night I was canvassing towns, hitting restaurants, interviewing people. And so 
um, they were very intense trips. It was about the most fun I've ever had in my life. Um, but then I had to come home and the writing part was actually really tough. So I wanted to get through the whole process of doing all of the research before I ever wrote the complete first draft of the manuscript. And so I actually went from complete draft to final draft in three months, which is insane. I would not recommend it. Um, I was tied to my desk for like nine hours a day, every day. And for a hiker, that's really tough. Um, But from that point there, it was in production for a year and now it's out. So um, two years and went by really quickly. How did you choose what went into this? Because I can imagine that there is just so much to explore over there. There is a ton to explore. So I took some of the trails that I did in 2015 and I knew I wanted to include them because I'd already done them and they were amazing. And so I went to rehike those and include them in the book. And then I thought about researching all the other trails that I wanted to put in there because the book has 15 what I call medium distance trails, which are anywhere from three days to 15 days. And there are seven day hikes uh, for people who are just wanting to get started or maybe they want to work a trail into a trip that's already planned. Um, So I thought about thinking about, okay, what makes a good trail? So a good trail has a good amount of culture. You're going to hit decent towns along the way. You're going to have the opportunity to talk to locals. There's also really incredible scenery. So you're walking through sometimes national parks, um, sometimes scenic monuments, other times just really beautiful spots in Europe. The third thing that I really looked at was how easy is it for someone else to replicate this hike? Because I had a few advantages um, in that I speak German. And so some of these trails I found initially because I had been combing German websites. And that was great for me, but not everybody speaks German. And so I needed to be able to make those trails accessible to people if they weren't already. That's why I've written um, these three route guides for trails that didn't have a lot of information about them beforehand. So kind of to summarize, it was, you know, awesome culture, incredible landscapes, and then something that people could replicate and actually do that wouldn't be incredibly intimidating. Yeah, well, that that kind of of gets you down to a a basic idea then. so then you had to go through and so the ones that you had hiked already, uh, you rehiked, but then you also picked a bunch more. So, so you had to, basically you had to put in all this walking and then all this writing all at the same time. Yeah. And there was tons of research that went into narrowing the trails down. Um, at least the ones that I hadn't already selected by doing them myself. Um, the ones that I was going to go and hike, I poured so much time into researching those because I had limited time. I mean, every single day during these research trips was accounted for. And so I couldn't afford to show up and not like a trail or not have it meet the specifications of the book. And so narrowing down was really interesting. I do have a big bucket list for all the rest of the trails that I need to go out and do and uh, several more books I need to write. Waymarkgearco.com. Go over there and check out the packs. Like we said, he has some offered there. A lot of different colors to choose from in the through 38 and 42 liter packs at 210 uh, and the 50 liter packs starting at 260. Uh, This little ad, we're going to talk about how you can get them very customized. And there's lots of links here on his website over at waymarkgearco.com. 
go over to Mark's website and check those out. I mean, uh, he's got some really cool color schemes coming up in the future. I know I saw down at PCT Days, he had his Sunset uh, model out. Uh, look for that in the future where uh, you can actually get multi-colors uh, within just a single panel, which is just, it, it, you can customize these packs like just absolutely crazy. So as far as the colors go and, the, and like the accessories I've talked about too. So go over there and at least check it out and follow on Instagram, waymarkgearco.com. Um, so one thing that I really like with some of your short trips you had in there too. Yeah, I have seven day hikes in there. Yeah, so I was looking at that, and I was thinking, man, that that right there just makes a lot of sense because some people, it, it's almost like a teaser, right? Like you, you can get over to Europe and, and do kind of some things you wanted to do, but then you can also get the small hike in, and maybe that might uh, start the kind of the, the dream process for one of the bigger hikes, right? Right, and honestly, that's kind of how I started out there. You know, I didn't start out doing these multi-day village-to-village or hut-to-hut hikes. I started out doing day hikes actually to take a break from traveling and it turned into a way better way to travel. So I think those day hikes are great because one, it shows people you don't have to do this for three weeks to get the benefits of it. I mean, if you already have a trip planned, you can work one of these day hikes in and see the benefits immediately. Get out into the scenery, go to a charming town, you know, have a glass of wine on beautiful steps as you look at the ocean, have a great conversation with the local and It'll enhance your whole trip just that one day. And so we really wanted to give people an easy way to kind of work that in. And then hopefully they'll fall in love with the concept just like I did. And they'll want to go for the multi-day ones. Yeah. So I could think I could, I could picture myself on a, on a trip to Europe. Well, anybody can. Um, so here I am going to Europe and I take one of your day hikes that I could picture. Like that makes a lot of sense. But uh, can you talk a little bit about how different it is to prep for something a little bit more longer? Sure. So when you're going to go and do one of these village-to-village hikes or one of these hut-to-hut hikes, um, it takes a lot of different preparation than either A, just hiking, or B, just traveling. Because what you're doing is really a mixture of the two. So stuff that's hiking-specific gear doesn't always work for these, for hiking as traveling, or as I call it, exploring on foot. And gear that you would normally have for traveling doesn't always cut it for the trail. So all of your preparations that go into this trip kind of need to be optimized around that mix. So when it comes to training for the trail, you know, I really recommend that people put in some work up front based on the trail that they've chosen and really make sure that they're in, you know, decent physical shape so that they enjoy it when they're there. And, of course, there's a broad range of trails. I mean, you could do everything that's super flat, like the Alsace Wine Route, um, to something that's really challenging, like Tour de Mont Blanc. Um, And then your training would depend on that. Now, as far as what you pack, you really have to think about this mix of hiking and traveling as well. Because you need some gear that's very hiking specific. Like, you need really good shoes that are waterproof and that have good traction so that you're safe on trail. But then you also don't want to stick out like a sore thumb as a hiker with your neon orange rain flicker, um, you know, and a, <laughs> and a huge backpack that doesn't have all the stuff that you need for traveling. Like, you know, it helps to be able to completely unzip your bag so that when you're going through airport security, when you get searched, because pretty much everybody does, it's Murphy's Law, um, it's easy to get everything out, you know. But you also need a backpack that has water bottle holsters 
so that you can drink water on trail. Um, some of the other preparations that go into it, I really love to see people preparing for the cultural aspect of it because these hikes aren't really about exercise at all. It's not about being fast. It's not about getting through the trail really quickly. It's about soaking in everything. And you're using hiking as a lens to see the world. So it gets you into these small towns where you can have these amazing experiences, but it helps if you prepare for them. So if you learn about the culture in advance, and I have a whole chapter on that, um, about learning some of the local language, about reading about politics so that, you know, if you're in a pub in Ireland and people are talking about, you know, a strike of local workers, maybe you've already read about it and can chime in and really get something out of that conversation. Um, it's all about the advanced preparation so that when you're there, you have these incredible travel moments, this trail magic that happens when you're in Europe and you're hiking. I really like that. That, that just makes so much sense. I, I, I mean, why? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, because w w as a tourist, uh, even if you're just uh, exploring on foot, as you say, um, you know, it, it's almost like you're a sore thumb by uh, just kind of coming into a community and not knowing anything about it, not uh, knowing ahead of time, because, you know, your conversations are just going to be bland. Right. And the thing that I really encourage people to is be a visitor don't be a tourist. You know, a tourist comes in and they snap a bunch of pictures, don't really talk to anybody. They just go back to their room and then they move on the next day. Whereas a visitor is someone who shows up, they try to blend in, they want to learn and kind of become part of that spot, even just for a few hours or a few days. Um, but you, you just, your walk becomes so much more if you look at it like that. You get so much more out of it. What about, so obviously another part to the hike then too would be like your electronics, right? I mean, that seems to be a standard now for hiking. Um, you know, as far as like, I don't know, simple things as charging your phone or, um, uh, Wi-Fi or, you know, cell service. How, how is that different? Oh man. So I really love to geek out about all of the electronics involved in exploring on foot because I do a lot of optimization um, so I, before I went on these research trips, I had never really hiked with GPX tracks before. I'd always used paper maps. Um, but just, just because I was going to be creating tracks anyways to have the data to put in the book, I wanted to follow tracks as well. So I learned about using my smartphone with a Gaia app as a GPS. Um, and I mean, even something like that just revolutionized how I hike and, then the other electronics, like, I mean, your smartphone is good for so many things. It's your camera, right? So you don't have to bring a separate camera. It's perfect for calling people on the phone so that you don't have to worry about a phone card like you used to. Um, but then there are all sorts of challenges that come with the electronics. So when you do use your phone as a GPS, your battery drains really, really quickly. So then you have to have a backup battery. And if you want your maps to refresh, you need to have self-service as well, even if you downloaded the maps for offline viewing. Um, so there are all of these considerations, and I have a whole chapter on electronics in the book. And it's just really interesting. I mean, you don't have to take very much at all when it comes to uh, electronics. Really, your smartphone is the biggest thing, and then you have to be able to charge it, and you have to be able to keep that battery um, alive, even when you're in the wilderness. Uh, but the electronics are different than there are different considerations than when you're just hiking at home. Yeah. I would assume another one too. I was looking through, uh, through the book as, as you're speaking there and, um, uh, 
you know, what about toiletries and medication? I mean, you know, if you obviously you can't take everything with you on a flight over, um, you're gonna have to pick some stuff up there. It, does that vary in, in Europe? Is it different than, than the U S so what I actually really encourage people to do is take as few toiletries as possible because the toiletry bag is one of the key spots where you can eliminate so much weight or you can kind of kick yourself later because it's also a place that's so easy to add weight that you don't need. Mm. Um, liquids are so heavy. And so I actually bring all of my toiletries with me when I go to Europe, but I have everything down to a science. So one of the things that I recommend is before you leave, take all the products that you think you're going to need in an average day on trail, which hopefully will be fewer than you use at home because, you know, you don't want to have to pack everything. So you take, you know, say your face wash, you take your soap, and then you think about how long you're going to be gone. So a typical uh, walking vacation in Europe is usually between one and two weeks. And for that length of time, you measure how much product you use at home. And then once you know, you add in just a teeny bit extra, but that's all you take over with you. So, you know, you're cutting your soap down, you're using smaller containers, and that way, you know, you don't have a lot of weight in your pack, and you don't have to buy anything when you get to Europe. That's a great idea. Wow. Yeah, this book's going to be full of stuff like that. I mean, uh, you know, as soon as somebody picks this book up and just starts flipping through it, and, you know, the questions just start coming. Um you know, what about, uh, wildlife? Um, I don't know. I just, it, I'm, I live in Washington. Um, you know, and I'm so familiar with everything that's here, but I've never been to Europe and definitely you're not going to see a whole lot in town, I would assume. But you know, what about when you get out, out there, what, what do you kind of stuff or should somebody be concerned about different than here or, or the same? Well, one of the things that I really love about hiking in Europe is that there's not a lot to be afraid of. Um, I'm one of those people, like when I go into the mountains, I really don't want to see a bear. You know, I know some people really love to see wildlife like that. I get a little freaked out by it. And so in Europe, there are actually very few bears left in the Alps. Um, There's really nothing that can hurt you. I mean, there are wild boars. That's about the biggest thing that you need to be concerned about. And those are giant pigs. Um, And as long as you know kind of what to do, if you run into a wild boar, um, there's really no reason to worry. So you're going to see deer out there. You're going to see birds. Um, you'll see some really cool lizards and things, especially as you get further south, like down into Spain. I include a couple um, trails in the books that are a short hop from Europe. So I dive down into Morocco and to Turkey. And in those places, you're going to get some really shockingly beautiful wildlife because the colors are just amazing you get hotter, you know, you get those chartreuse colors, um, the vivid colors. And so there's a lot to see. Um, the wildlife over there is really nice and it's great to not have to worry about anything that's really scary. Yeah, no kidding. Um, what about, uh, one thing that you talk a lot about in the book too is money. Um, I would assume that that's a lot of people's concerns, even just on a normal trip to Europe, but, uh, you know, we're, there's a possibility that people are having to pay for extra food that they might, you know, when you go on a backpacking trip, sometimes you have that all pre-planned out, but man, when you're in Europe, it might be completely different or huts or, or all these things cost money or how did, how did you plan for that? Right. So 
one of the things that's really nice about hiking in Europe is that usually you're hiking between guest houses or cafes where you can pick up food. And it's always cheaper than it is in the U.S. So, the, I mean, the cost of traveling in Europe, I think, is just a lot cheaper than living in Seattle. So, you know, you can go out and have a really nice meal, and all of a sudden it's just going to set you back $25, you know, which is about 20 euros. And that's pretty nice. Um, it makes exploring on foot extremely reasonable as a vacation because, you know, the food is cheaper. The accommodations tend to be a lot cheaper in Europe as well. You can get a nice, comfortable um, two-person room for 40 or 50 euros, which is, you know, about 45 or $55. And, I mean, compared to when you want to travel in the U.S., hotel rooms, you know, usually go for at least over 100 bucks, and that's just kind of for a standard one. So then when you think about all the possibilities somewhere like Eastern Europe where things are significantly even cheaper, uh, you can go out and have a beer for, you know, a euro. And when you're in uh, Portugal, it's about the same thing. Like you can go out, have a glass of wine on the town. It'll only set you back a euro. Um, and then you get free appetizers with that at the same time. So it's actually significantly cheaper to explore on foot um, and be in Europe than it is to do a similar thing in the U.S. And exploring on foot by its nature is cheaper than other kinds of travel because you're not paying for admission tickets that are really expensive. You're not doing really expensive things. Your main activity is walking, which is usually free aside from the gear and just the food and the lodging that you would normally need. Yeah, it's one thing that I've heard about Europe too is uh, is that the gear is completely different. There's not a whole lot of like if somebody's into ultralight backpacking and stuff. And um, was there a time where where you had to replace some gear over there and you, you had to you had to worry about that? Or actually, I I almost did have to replace um, a backpack. Uh, one of the like metal parts in the frame busted out of the backpack. But it was really nice because I had people join me on every um, research trip or on the two research trips, there were several legs of hiking and a different person joined me on each leg. And so I had outfitted the person who was joining me on that trail, this was in France, um, with a loner backpack that I had. And so I kind of just dealt with the metal poking out for a couple of days and then it was time for us to part and I just swapped backpacks out because it is harder to find things like backpacking gear, especially in these small towns where they don't really have hiking stores or camping specific stores. Um, so, I mean, that's why I really recommend quality gear. I, I spend a lot on, you know, Merino wool clothes and a really quality backpack and amazing shoes that I know, you know, I've resealed with water repellent, all of that. So, it really helps to put a lot of effort into your gear before you go to make sure that you don't have to think about replacing something when you're over there. Yeah. I like that. And, you know, it, it just makes so much sense for people to buy better quality things and, and just let it last longer. And yeah, cause especially if you're going over there, that's a good point. Six moon designs.com. Hey, I wanted to talk about the Gatewood Cape. Um, it's a, it's a shelter, uh, basically just like a solo tarp It's 10 ounces but it also doubles as um, as rain gear, so you can actually wear this as like a poncho. That's that's pretty cool. I, I I'm just kind of surfing on their website sixmoondesigns.com and kind of ran across this. So if you need a 10 ounce tarp 
that you can also wear as rain gear. <laughs> this is this is the coolest thing I've seen, honestly. Uh, they've got the new version for 2018, and it says here uh, it's the only one of its kind. And it's been in, it was introduced in 2006, and it's been carried over hundreds of thousands of trail miles. So. Uh, join the rest of the crew out there. Go to sixmoondesigns.com and follow them on Instagram as well. Tell them the Cascade Hiker Podcast sent you. Was there a, uh, one of these trails that you highlight? Was there was there one of them that really kind of surprised you or one that you recommend over others? Or you just kind of inundated with all of them? You know, they're all different, and they all kind of are amazing in their own ways. I would have to say that one of my very favorites is the Alpine Pass route, which goes um, from east to west across Switzerland. And you're in the Alps pretty much the whole time. And I think there is nowhere beautiful, more beautiful in the entire world. Um, it was one of the first long hikes that I did in Europe. And it blew my socks off. And I don't think it was because it was kind of a first love kind of thing. It's just that amazing. Um, so I love the Alpine Pass route in Switzerland. But then there are other trails that I love for so many reasons. Like I did the Fisherman's Trail um, on the road to Vicentina in Portugal. And Portugal had never been on my travel radar. You know, I'd heard about it, really didn't have any desire to go there. But then I found this trail and it looked amazing. So I went to do it. Turns out Portugal is incredible. And this trail was shockingly beautiful everything from this brightly colored sand, you're on these cliffs right above the ocean. Um, and there were storks there, some of the only storks that nest in cliffs in the world. Wow. And it, it was just one of those places where, you know, I, I'd heard about Portugal for years and it was kind of funny that I never wanted to go. And then I went and I'm already planning my next trip back. So but there are all kinds of different trails that I feature in my book because everybody's kind of drawn to a different kind of trail. I have some trails that are really amazing for the scenery, like that Alpine Pass route in Switzerland. Then I have um, hikes like the Alsace Line route in France that are really for people who like a flat hike that goes through vineyards and you're doing a lot of wine tasting and you're going through a medieval village about every five kilometers. Um, so, you know, you're constantly in town and then there are trails for history buffs. Um, like there's one called the Escap Arden Ice Lake Trail that goes through Belgium and Luxembourg. And on there, you can wander in and out of World War II relics. Like there's a crash site of a plane from World War II that went down. Um, it was on a spy mission and got shot down. And it's out there. I mean, you just walk right past it. And you can still see the bullet holes. There's a little grave there for um, the people who died. And, I mean, you're just seeing incredible things. And, you know, I have Omaha Beach in the book. And see, being able to go and see the place where so many people died and a place that has such significance in our history is really amazing. And especially to see how peaceful it is now, Um whereas before it had so much carnage, it's kind of mind-blowing. But there are trails for everybody, whether you like history, whether you love wine, um, whether you just really want to go out and see them. Yeah, well, when you're sitting there describing them uh, real quick like that, it, uh, <laughs> you make them sound very intriguing. Um, honestly, I, I just think that this is uh, the right thing to do. Obviously, you know that. The book's uh, already out, and it's like, wow, um, you know, 
it, it's obvious there wouldn't be a book if it wasn't. So when you mentioned that you were talking about doing something else in the future, uh, you mentioned a couple different places. What would be your choice for next area to cover? Well, we have a couple ideas for what's up next. So I really would love to dive into some specific countries. Like I'd love to do exploring Germany on foot. Um, or rather, I'd love to do explore Germany on foot. I'd also love to dive into France. Um, I'd love to do something in Japan, especially with pilgrimage routes. Mm. I'd love to go um, to Thailand and Cambodia because I've been there to travel, but I've, I haven't done very much exploring on foot there. Um, and then I also, I have a baby now. Um, she's only four and a half months old. And uh -huh. so I'm, I'm starting to lead tours next year of these trails that I promote in my book. And I'm going to take her next year. And it's going to be a research trip because I really want to write, um, explore on foot with kids and make it a family friendly guide. So it'll be interesting. She'll only be a year old. Um, I'm sure I'll get a lot of really good information and learn a lot of lessons the hard way that I can pass on. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, wow. That's, that sounds crazy. <laughs> I mean, in a good way though. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm nervous for it. Also excited. Um, but I'll be taking her to King Ludwig way, which is in Bavaria and it's a five day trail. So. Well, that's going to be cool. Now you say she'll be a year by then. Yeah. Yeah. So will you be doing obviously some hiking, before that, get all prepped up and, and, and kind of shake down? Yeah, so I've already started taking her to national parks and getting her out hiking. And as it gets closer, I think the main thing that I'll really have to um, worry about is keeping her in a pack for so many hours. And I'll have to train up to that and kind of work out, you know, how often I need to get her out and let her run around or, I guess, at that point, toddle around. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, but she, she loves to hike already. That's great. Oh man. Well, I'm raising two hiking daughters myself, so um I commend that's you. Great. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. So can you talk a little bit, uh, just to kind of give people a little bit of a background, um, what got you into hiking? What what age and, and kind of what 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 brought you out into the woods? So when I was growing up, I grew up in Cedar Lily in Bellingham. And my parents did a little bit of hiking and they would take us out, but it wasn't something that we really did. Like it didn't define our family. And then when I went to college, same time I was discovering country music and dancing, I had a friend who was into hiking and um, he took me out into the woods and he didn't hike with trails. He would just go out into the woods and just walk through the trees and kind of make his own path. And I thought, this is wild. I mean, we're not even on a trail and <laughs> I don't even know, you know, how to find my way back. And, but it really got me to love the outdoors because I got to see these places that were wild and I got to experience natural beauty. And it was, it kind of hit me over the head that, that I really didn't have that relationship with the natural world, with the natural world beforehand. And so I was kind of hooked. And after that, you know, I loved, going out and doing hikes and it just kind of built on itself. I mean, I feel like I'm just made to hike in a weird way. Like I'm just made to walk. It makes me so happy and I have strong legs, not very strong arms. So I'm never into climbing or anything, but I can just walk for hours and I just ponder. And so it's, it just became a huge hobby for me, whether I'm in the city, 
and I'm just doing urban walks or whether I'm out in the woods or whether I'm somewhere like Europe and I kind of have the best of both. Um, it's just walking is just my thing. I can't really explain it. It's like something I was just meant to do. Yeah. Exploring on foot. I like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. One thing that really intrigued me uh, on your website, uh, the Cassandra uh in your bio, you talk about uh, dugout dick. And uh, I don't know. It, it, it just sounds really cool. What is that? What, who, who's dugout dick? Oh, my goodness. So I was living in Germany when I first read about dugout dick. And this was, man, it's got to be at least 10 years ago, maybe a little more. Um, and there was a Yahoo travel article on this guy named dugout dick. And so I read the article Turns out there was this old miner and he was down in Salmon, Idaho and staked a mining claim and he decided to hammer out some cave hotels. I mean, in, really in the middle of nowhere. And so first, I mean, he made, you know, a cave for himself and then he thought, oh, this is a great idea. I'll build on and I'll make other caves. And so many years went by and, um, and he had all of these interesting people come and stay at his cave hotel. And they were very rustic. I mean, they were literally just built out of the rock. I mean, he had just, you know, carved them with a chisel. And there was a bed in each one um, and usually some sort of fire to keep warm. And there was a nice view of the river outside. And you could go and you could stay in the cave hotel for $5 a night. Or I think it was something like 20 or $25 a month. And he became kind of a celebrity. Um, he was a recluse, so he really kind of hid out there. And interestingly enough, he had a really touchy stomach. And so he had goats and he would eat goat milk and goat yogurt and all of that. But he, he really kept to himself. And then someone found him and made him famous. And he went on Johnny Carson. And after that, just kind of retreated back into his cave. And so he just intrigued me. There was just something I just felt like I needed to meet him. Well, it took me about six years to get out there. And I went on a big road trip with a friend of mine who was really outdoorsy and we made this one of our stops. And so I got to go, I got to meet dugout Dick and I was there on Valentine's day. I actually gave him some chocolates. He couldn't eat them because he didn't have any teeth. By that point he was in his um, early nineties and I'm so glad that I got to go and meet him and all of the other really interesting people and, and hear their stories because he died two weeks later. Wow. So you can, you can go and visit now, but um, I think it's the, one of the government agencies took over that mining claim and they made a little memorial to dugout Dick, but you can no longer go in the cave hotels, which is a bummer. Yeah. Oh, wow. That sounds, that's, that's cool. I, and, and just just browsing through some of your other uh, items in your portfolio, just uh, I encourage people to go check that out for sure. But I definitely uh, recommend people go check out the book, uh, ex- uh, explore Europe on foot. Uh, any, any like me, I'm, I'm not even like planning on a trip or anything. But uh, just like I say, as you're talking about the trails and talking about some of the the different things to to see over there, uh, really uh, can get spark people's interest and, and maybe, maybe you weren't even thinking about a hike and you'd want to go do one now after reading the book. So definitely go check that out. Yeah. It kind of was amazing to me when I first stumbled on exploring on foot and I started writing this book 
not even knowing if really anything was out there that was similar. And the more I researched, because, you know, when you're going to publish a book, you really have to see what else is out there and make sure you're not doing the exact same thing. And nobody had really written a guide, not just to exploring Europe on foot, but exploring on foot in general, to mixing hiking and traveling. And I could not believe it because it felt like such an amazing thing. I couldn't believe that nobody had really gotten into that and explained it to the world. And so I feel really lucky because this is something that when I talk to people, they get so excited thinking about being able to visit like places from World War II and these towns where there are no other tourists and, you know, I mean, remains of civilizations hundreds, thousands of years ago. Um, and, and it's amazing. It's right there. And people get so inspired and then they go out and do it and then they fall in love with it. And it's kind of cool knowing that I somehow stumbled on this, but it's a it's a bigger thing. It's a bigger deal. And people are really stoked about it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's cool. And then uh, I just wanted to say one more time uh, about the talks, too, because uh, obviously you like to talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, that, that sounds exciting. And uh, I like the fact that, that you talked about there's the three different styles and um, uh, some of the ones coming up. And, and it looks like you're going to be in... Mount Vernon. Oh, you said you grew up in, in partly in Cedar Woolley, but Mount Vernon anyway. So, yep. and uh, Bellingham. Yeah. So I'll be in Mount Vernon on October 17th and then I'll be in Bellingham on November 1st and really encourage people to come out. Um, you know, I have amazing pictures, even more than are in the book of these trails. And I'm really excited to dive into, into exploring on foot and really go in detail with people and get them hooked on this concept. And so I'd love for people to show up and be able to learn about exploring on foot and I'll be there selling books and also signing books. Yeah. And, uh, even New York, October 25th. Yes. That's cool. Nice. Seattle, yeah. So I'm Edmonds. going to New York for, yeah, I'm going to New York for five days to promote the book and do interviews with media and then do an event at REI and Soho. And, um, we're going to do another event for travel influencers to try to get the word out. And um, if people want a signed copy of the book, they can go to exploreonfoot.com and order one there. Well, right on. Well, uh, hey, thanks so much, Cassandra, for your time. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Rudy. I really appreciate it. This was great. I can't wait to have you on when you uh, get your next Explore on Foot book out. Maybe the with kids one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, especially. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, thanks All again. All the after advice, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. All right, that's the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to join the Patreon page. Find me at patreon.com slash cascadehikerpodcast. Also, hit me up uh, with an email, rudy at cascadehikerpodcast.com. Find me on Facebook. My Facebook page is Cascade Hiker Podcast. Twitter, find me at in underscore Cascade Hiking. And I'm Cascade Hiker Podcast on Instagram. Thanks, Whiskey Fever, for letting me use this track here, Tall Grass, off their album, Gonna Wake Up This Whole Town. Go find them at ReverbNation.com slash Whiskey Fever. Hey, see you next week. You were sweet like honey on a heartbeat. You were fine like wine and sunshine. I could feel you coming on strong. Could never be wrong. Could never be wrong. See her laying down in the tall grass Playing mandolin in a white dress I come running when I hear that song It could never be wrong, it could never be wrong Where you wanna run, maybe I'll run too I would leave this world for a 